0: Hi, my name is Nudie, and you're listening to Reading Books with Nudie. We are reading A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett right now. In this episode, we are going to hear the first part of the fifth chapter of our book because it's very long. We will also hear a short jingle or rhyme at the end of this chapter, which comes from The Jingle Book by Carolyn Wells. If you're new here, I recommend you go back and listen to previous episodes, or you might not understand the story. Please, if you have the time, leave a rating or review on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, feel free to write them in the review as well. It helps the podcast be more publicized, and every little thing helps. Thank you. Let's get started. Chapter 5. Becky. Part 1. Of course the greatest power Sarah possessed, and the one which gained her even more followers than her luxuries and the fact that she was the show pupil, the power that Lavinia and certain other girls were most envious of, and at the same time most fascinated by in spite of themselves, was her power of telling stories and making everything she talked about seem like a story, whether it was one or not. Anyone who has been at school with a teller of stories knows what the wonder means, how he or she is followed about and besought in a whisper to relate romances, how groups gather round and hang on to the outskirts of the favored party in the hope of being allowed to join in and listen. Sarah not only could tell stories, but she adored telling them. When she sat or stood in the midst of her circle and began to invent wonderful things, her green eyes grew big and shining, her cheeks flushed, and Without knowing that she was doing it, she began to act and made what she told lovely or alarming by the raising or dropping of her voice, the bend and sway of her slim body, and the dramatic movement of her hands. She forgot that she was talking to listening children. She saw and lived with the fairy folk, or the kings and queens and beautiful ladies whose adventures she was narrating, Sometimes when she had finished her story she was quite out of breath with excitement and would lay her hand on her thin little quick rising chest and half laugh as if at herself. When I am telling it, she would say, it doesn't seem as if it was only made up. It seems more real than you are, more real than the schoolroom. It feels as if I were all the people in the story, one after the other. It's queer. She had been at Miss Minchin's school about two years when... One foggy winter's afternoon, as she was getting out of the carriage, comfortably wrapped up in her warmest velvet and furs, and looking very much grander than she knew, she caught sight as she crossed the pavement of a dingy little figure standing on the area steps and stretching its neck so that its wide open eyes might peer at her through the railings. Something in the eagerness and timidity of the smudgy face made her look at it and when she looked she smiled because it was her way to smile at people. But the owner of the smudgy face and the wide open eyes evidently was afraid that she ought not to have been caught looking at pupils of importance. She dodged out of sight like a jack-in-the-box and scurried back into the kitchen, disappearing so suddenly that if she had not been such a poor little forlorn thing, Sarah would have laughed in spite of herself. That very evening, as Sarah was sitting in the midst of a group of listeners in a corner of the schoolroom telling one of her stories, the very same figure timidly entered the room, carrying a coal box much too heavy for her, and knelt down upon the earth rug to replenish the fire and sweep up the ashes. She was cleaner than she had been when she peeped through the area railings, but she looked just as frightened. She was evidently afraid to look at the children or seem to be listening. She put on pieces of coal cautiously with her fingers so that she might make no disturbing noise, and she swept about the fire irons very softly. But Sarah saw in two minutes that she was deeply interested in what was going on, and that she was doing her work slowly in the hope of catching a word here and there. And realizing this, she raised her voice and spoke more clearly. The mermaids swam softly about in the crystal green water. "'and dragged after them a fishing net woven of deep-sea pearls,' she said. "'The princess sat on the white rock and watched them.' "'It was a wonderful story about a princess who was loved by a prince merman "'and went to live with him in shining caves under the sea. "'The small drudge before the grate swept the hearth once and then swept it again. "'Having done it twice, she did it three times, "'and, as she was doing it the third time, the sound of the story so lured her to listen that she fell under the spell and actually forgot that she had no right to listen at all, and also forgot everything else. She sat down upon her heels as she knelt on the earth rug, and the brush hung idly in her fingers. The voice of the storyteller went on and drew her with it into winding grottoes under the sea glowing with soft, clear blue light and paved with pure golden sands. Strange sea flowers and grasses waved about her and far away, faint singing and music echoed. The hearth brush fell from the work-roughened hand and Lavinia Herbert looked round. "'That girl has been listening,' she said. The culprit snatched up her brush and scrambled to her feet. She caught at the coal box and simply scuttled out of the room like a frightened rabbit." Sarah felt rather hot-tempered. "'I knew she was listening,' she said. "'Why shouldn't she?' Lavinia tossed her head with great elegance. "'Well,' she remarked, "'I do not know whether your mamma would like you to tell stories to servant girls, "'but I know my mamma wouldn't like me to do it.' "'My mamma," said Sarah, looking odd. "'I don't believe she would mind in the least. "'She knows that stories belong to everybody.' I thought, retorted Lavinia, in severe recollection, that your mamma was dead. How can she know things? Do you think she doesn't know things? said Sarah, in her stern little voice. Sometimes she had a rather stern little voice. Sarah's mamma knows everything, piped in Lottie. So does my mamma. said Sarah is my mamma at Miss Minchin's. My other one knows everything. "'The streets are shining, and there are fields and fields of lilies, "'and everybody gathers them. "'Sarah tells me when she puts me to bed. "'You wicked thing,' said Lavinia, turning on Sarah, "'making fairy stories about heaven. "'There are much more splendid stories in Revelation,' returned Sarah. "'Just look and see. "'How do you know mine are fairy stories? "'But I can tell you, with a fine bit of unheavenly temper,' You will never find out whether they are or not if you're not kinder to people than you are now. Come along, Lottie. And she marched out of the room, rather hoping that she might see the little servant again somewhere. But she found no trace of her when she got into the hall. Who is that little girl who makes the fires? she asked Mariette that night. Mariette broke forth into a flow of description. Ah, indeed, Mademoiselle Sarah might well ask. She was a forlorn little thing who had just taken the place of scullery maid, though, as to being scullery maid, she was everything else besides. She blacked boots and grates and carried heavy coal scuttles up and down stairs and scrubbed floors and cleaned windows and was ordered about by everybody. She was fourteen years old but was so stunted in growth that she looked about twelve. In truth, Mariette was sorry for her. "'She was so timid that if one chanced to speak to her, "'it appeared as if her poor, frightened eyes would jump out of her head. "'What is her name?' asked Sarah, who had sat by the table, "'with her chin on her hands as she listened absorbedly to the recital. "'Her name was Becky. "'Mariette had heard everyone below stairs calling, "'Becky, do this, and Becky, do that, every five minutes of the day.' "'Sarah sat and looked into the fire,' reflecting on Becky for some time after Marriott left her. She made up a story of which Becky was the ill-used heroine. She thought she looked as if she had never had quite enough to eat. Her very eyes were hungry. She hoped she should see her again, but though she caught sight of her carrying things up or downstairs on several occasions, she always seemed in such a hurry and so afraid of being seen that it was impossible to speak to her. But a few weeks later, on another foggy afternoon, when she entered her sitting room, she found herself confronting a rather pathetic picture. In her own special and pet easy chair before the bright fire, Becky, with a coal smudge on her nose and several on her apron, with her poor little cap hanging half off her head and an empty coal box on the floor near her, sat fast asleep, tired out beyond even the endurance of her hard-working young body. She had been sent up to put the bedrooms in order for the evening. There were a great many of them, and she had been running about all day. Sarah's rooms she had saved until the last. They were not like the other rooms, which were plain and bare. Ordinary pupils were expected to be satisfied with mere necessaries. Sarah's comfortable sitting room seemed a bower of luxury to the scullery maid, though it was, in fact, merely a nice, bright little room but there were pictures and books in it, and curious things from India. There was a sofa and a low, soft chair. Emily sat in a chair of her own, with the air of a presiding goddess, and there was always a glowing fire and a polished grate. Becky saved it until the end of her afternoon's work, because it rested her to go into it. Well, that's the end of part one of chapter five named Becky of A Little Princess. If you want to read ahead, go ahead, and then next week you can read along with us. Don't you think we need something else? Let's see. I think we're thinking of the same thing. Let's say it on the count of three, okay? One, two, three. The jingle! Wait, did you say robots who build books with lights? I mean, we need that too, being the book nerds we are and wanting to read in bed. But we should stick with the jingle, it's way safer, don't you think? Okay, here we go. This jingle is called Puzzled. There lived in ancient Scribble Town a wise old writer man, whose name was Homer Cicero Demosthenes McCann. He'd written treatises and themes, till for a change he said, I think I'll write a children's book before I go to bed. He pulled down all his musty tomes in Latin and in Greek, consulted cyclopedias and manuscripts antique, essays in anthropology, studies in counterpoise. For these, he said, are useful lore for little girls and boys. He scribbled hard and scribbled fast, he burned the midnight oil, and when he reached the end, he felt rewarded for his toil. He said, this charming children's book is greatly to my credit. And now he saw the puzzled that no child has ever read it. Why do you think nobody has ever read Mr. McCann's children's book? Would you read it? Write your answers if you like in a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll read some of the answers in a few weeks to give you some time. That's the end of our episode today! I hope you enjoyed it. Come back on Thursday for a new episode when we will continue our story. I hope you have a great week. Amazing thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs and sound you heard today, and to Project Gutenberg for the books we read.